Yesterday's concert is a proud member of the Pantheon Media Network. My wife plopped onto the curb. She'd had enough. For the better part of the last hour, I tried to make the best of a bad situation. She'd been tolerant at best, but she'd finally reached her breaking point. She wasn't just mad. She was disappointed. But she was also really mad. I navigated through the crowd so I could be next to her. People rushed to fill in the gaps I had left. I kneeled down and made eye contact. Hey, you doing okay? I asked. I'm tired. This is ridiculous. You can't even see the stage. Are you ready to go? No, it's fine. We can stay for a little longer. I gave her a kiss on the forehead, thanked her, and ran back to my buddy Cody in the spot he'd been saving for me. I gotta give her credit. She was being a trooper. This was an all-time rough scenario for any concert. I've been packed into tiny clubs and trapped in surging festival crowds, but this one was survival of the fittest. The stage view was blocked by the masses, but I could still hear the music loud and clear. Fancy lights and big-time stage productions are nice, but you're at the concert for one reason. The music. As long as I could still hear that, I'd be okay. Cody and I high five when the band went into the devil-named music. This is one of our favorite tracks and a song that we called during our pre-show hopes and expectations. We sang along and danced to the- Are you kidding me? Are you absolutely kidding me? I recognize that angry voice. This wasn't good. Our night was definitely done. I don't know what happened, but I knew there was no coming back from whatever it was. I slithered back through the crowd to Anna. A girl sat next to her on the curb. She was woozy-headed and clutching her temples. It was obvious she was battling something deep inside herself. She dropped her head between her knees and perched the remnants of her stomach onto the ground. It splashed and flowed like a broken fire hydrant. Some laughed, others flung the vomit from their boots. But I stared into the fiery glare of my wife. Vomit trickled down her sleeve. The vomiting girl grabbed my wife's leg and lifted her head to Anna. Through crusty lips, she tried to speak. I'm sorry. I didn't mean to. Please forgive me. I'm so sorry. I know I don't know you, but... Anna jumped and kicked the girl's hand off of her. Her friend Samantha ran to get paper towels. The girl dropped her head limp and stared into the distance. At some point in the evening, her hair was pulled back into a bun, but now is an angry bird's nest. She sat up, trying to will herself back into the audience. A belt tripped through her. It was the second coming. A mix of beer and fast food erupted from Mount St. Karen. It clumped and dropped onto the ground. The girl was crying now, her sobs mixed with her repeated dry heaves. It's time to go, Anna declared. Welcome concert goers, music fanatics, and travelers. My name is Lance Ingram, and in the season three, episode six of Yesterday's Concert, our jam journal takes us to September 15th, 2017. Grab your earplugs as we go to the worst venue I've ever attended for Chris Stapleton. Loaded on amphetamines and success, Johnny Cash crawled into the Nickajack Cave on the Tennessee River, just north of Chattanooga. 
This wasn't his first time venturing into the earth through this hole. In the previous explorations, he sought civil war and Native American artifacts. But on this occasion, he wanted to lose something. Johnny's goal was to get so lost he couldn't find his way out. The Ring of Fire singer was on a suicide mission. And after crawling for almost three hours, his flashlight died. Exhausted, he laid down and gave up. This would be his final resting spot. The legend and mystique surrounding the young singer would be talked about for generations. His body likely never to be found. Except this story has a moment of grace. Johnny couldn't stop there. Something deep inside him refused to let this be his final moment. What happened was what Cash considered a moving religious experience. A breeze hit his face and he says it was God urging him to get up. As a debt of gratitude, Cash followed the breeze to safety. The experience was a wake-up call to get his life straightened out. The sun blared in my face and the sounds of cheery children and squalling seagulls washed over me. I put the book down and walked into the water. I stood in the sand feeling the warm waters envelop my ankles and splash onto my shins. The story weighed on my heart. I waded out into the water. Johnny's words burdened me like an anvil. I had no interest in reading the book, but a friend had recommended his autobiography. The story resonated with me unlike any other musician's biography had before. Family vacation was taking an unexpectedly introspective turn this year. This was a different side of country music. Despite my geographic upbringing, this was the first time the genre appealed to me. In the South, country music is king. It's an unavoidable reality of daily life. It plays in grocery stores and blares from supersized trucks at the red light. They play it at high school football games, restaurants, weddings, and even funerals. The genre is inescapable. But I've always found it dumb. Even from a young age, before I could form decent musical opinions, the genre screamed pandering garbage. Pandering. Me, a seven-year-old, describing a musical genre as pandering. What a time to be alive. Backwood country roads, a life surrounded by nature and lots of cute girls with southern accents. This was my day to day. Yet the songs I heard on the radio sounded like a different world. Dance beats and banjos. Voices so forcefully twanged and drawled I wondered if they'd learned the accent from a Saturday Night Live skit. Even before there was rock and roll in my life, I considered the genre to be pop music for rednecks and hillbillies. My camo-induced friends looked to the music as a guiding force. I'm 90% sure most of them didn't even like fishing, but country music told them they did. You hear that song? He's singing about my truck. Well, well, my dream truck, but it's going to be mine one day. Man, I'll tell you what, my mama left my daddy just like that song. She took all his money. He still chases after that woman. You can't fight love. When I read about Johnny's suicide attempt, it was the first time country music felt real. This wasn't a song about beer drinking, truck driving, and cuties with nice booties. This was a very real take on life. I wasn't contemplating suicide, but feelings of hopelessness were not foreign. That afternoon, I began streaming Johnny's discography. The music had new life. When we sang about a burning ring of fire. I understood what it meant to feel like you were losing control. The pain and heartbreak that life throws our way. I was young and inexperienced in many ways, but life is ruthless in its pursuit to confront each of us with loss and heartache. That's a universal truth. Listening to the songs, I drew parallels to grunge music. Not musically, of course, but in theme. 
Grunge and classic country were harsh takes on the reality of life, whereas 80s hair metal and modern country were distractions about partying to keep those demons at bay. Even in my youthful naivety, I knew life's not always beer drinking and beach parties. Distractions are nice, but they're not reality. Johnny's music was very clear on that too. It was a gritty take for people who struggle with jealousy, anger, and frustrations of life's failed expectations, so essentially the human condition. After that day, country music finally found a place in my life. Much like my affiliation with classic rock in my teens, I detested the modern sounds on the radio. I found closeness in the classic version of the genre. The new stuff was a degradation of the genre's foundational calling cards. Forget those posers like Florida Georgia Line and Rascal Flats. That is until I heard Chris Stapleton. Man, that voice. It was as classic rock as it was soul. The country twang wasn't forced. If anything, Chris made strides to bury it in soul so as not to make it a focal point. But his songs weren't always about the party. Sometimes they were sad. Even a more inherently cliche song like Tennessee Whiskey wasn't some kind of manufactured redneck ideology turned into a beach club hit. To be cliche, Chris was a breath of fresh air and exactly what I needed to step into modern country music. It had been two years since that day on the beach, and I suddenly found myself buying tickets to one of country music's hottest new artists. The tickets flew off the side at record speed. I hadn't purchased tickets to an artist this hot... ever... I was stepping into a new world, seeing a country music artist in my home state of Mississippi. I hated myself for finally succumbing to the level of my peers, but I couldn't help it. The guy was good. I just couldn't say no any longer. Oversized trucks revved their engines and hollers of oversurged fans greeted us in the parking lot. Boots, cowboy hats, and cheap beer. It was everything I expected it to be. My wife and I made the show a double date with our good friends, Samantha and Cody. Naturally, we took Cody's truck. For posterity reasons. We pulled into our parking spot, set out our lawn chairs, and joined the party. It was a beautiful night. The sun sank behind us and the sounds of the opening act mixed with our Bluetooth speaker. If this is what country music is about, well then sign me up. When the opener quieted down, we started packing it up. It was probably another 30 minutes or so before Chris would take the stage. This would give us enough time to get into the venue, take a leak, and find a decent spot on the general admission lawn. Knowing we were late though, we went straight to the top. No point in being naive about the crowds. We'd seen the parking lots. At the top, we looked down in horror. It looked like a refugee camp. Crammed shoulder to shoulder. Trash was everywhere and not a single spot of grass was to be found. The walkways were at a standstill, as they were too overrun with people vying for a place to see the show. Crowds shoved and pushed to get back to their friends. Beer spilled on me every time I bumped into someone. I made eye contact with Cody and no words were needed to communicate our situation. This was bad. Why wasn't there anywhere to stand? Of all the lawns, I've never seen one this packed. It was a mass of unidentifiable people as far as the eye could see. We were little more than a flesh-covered traffic cone. As far as our eyes could see, 
There were no other options. Chris Stapleton was minutes from taking the stage and we had nowhere to go. Apparently I wasn't the only one with an opinion shift on country music. We pushed our way to the walkway between the lawn and the seated section. Finding a tiny spot on the walkway, we tried to figure out a plan. Move along, people. Move along. You can't stand in the walkway. The security officer flashed his light in our faces and motioned for us to move. When we didn't move, he put his hands on me and began forcefully moving us forward. Hey man, you need to get your hands off me. There's nowhere to go. I shouted back at him. That's not my problem. Keep moving. We were pushed down into the common area where the beer lines wrapped around the venue. And don't even get me started on the bathrooms. They were non-existent, just lumps of people trying to get into a small space. No order and complete chaos. People were jumping into flower beds, standing behind structures, and saddling up to fences. Anywhere they could find some privacy to relieve themselves. What is going on here? Cody yelled. This is a disaster, I replied. We returned to the walkway between the lawn and the seated section. In the corner of the space, we found an open area of concrete. It was the handicap section. There was only one gentleman there in a wheelchair, so we asked if it'd be cool if we stood with him. He was very polite and said he didn't mind. And even when security came by a few seconds later, he informed them we were with him. So step one, find a spot to see the stage. Complete. Finally, with a little plot of land to call our own, we settled in. This actually was a better vantage point than anywhere on the lawn. The lights go off and the venue plunges into darkness. The roar of the crowd was monstrous. These were some very excited country music fans. From the corners of the stage, the band members began to emerge. The crowd shot out of their seats. And just like that, our view was completely blocked. No longer could we see anything but the very top of the stage. Even the video screens were blocked. I stared at the venue's logo atop the shed. Curse you, Bank Plus Amphitheater curse you now we can't even see the stage what are we gonna do Anna yelled over the music I looked down at our new friend in the wheelchair he was the real victim here where I felt defeat he was stomped into the ground confined to his chair he stared into the rear ends of his fellow fans I watched as a lifetime of frustration swept over him the venue had completely failed him he paid as much money as the people who blocked him he even paid to be in a location that protected his needs. Except even that wasn't granted. Hey man, is there anything I can do to help you? I leaned in and asked. His face was pure dejection. I'm pretty sure he was on the verge of tears. No, I'm just going home. This is ridiculous. I watched his electric wheelchair navigate the crowd down the on-ramp and towards the exit. I'd never been so mad at a venue. I've seen venues do terrible things. But this was a new low. You mind if we stand here? A guy tapped me on the shoulder to ask. I told him it wasn't up to me, but I didn't care. Man, this is crazy. I got a buddy who's working on one of the concession stands, and he told me they oversold the lawn by 2,000 people. It was all he said, she said, but being in the middle of the chaos, I believed it. As crowded as the lawn was, there were still hundreds, if not thousands of people in the pavilion peeing on walls and buying beer and nachos. Chris Stapleton was one of the hottest artists, not just in country, but in music as a whole. The venue saw the chance to make an extra buck and sold out the experience and safety of its fans. Regardless of any PR response they can give, safety was compromised. They overextended their capabilities and the fan experience was ruined. 
Chris started the show with Might As Well Get Stoned. And I'm going to agree with him. It felt appropriate. What was there left to do? Cody and I got as close to the rail as we could. And during brief movements by the fans in front of us, we could catch a glimpse of the video screens. If we were really lucky, we might be able to see the stage. Oh, how wonderful. In retrospect, I'm not even sure if we saw Chris Stapleton in the flesh that night. I saw him on the screens a few times, but memory tells me I didn't actually see him once. Our wives were angry and tired. They left on a hunt for drinks, but Cody and I made the best of it. Despite not being able to see the stage, we could still hear the music. And isn't that what it's all about? Live music hits differently than your stereo. We could still feel the bass in our chest. The guitar still tore our eardrum to shreds. And most importantly, I still got to hear that sweet, sweet Chris Stapleton voice. Despite the terribleness of the venue, the crowd's energy was still off the charts. Everyone knew every song. They screamed the lyrics and yeehawed after every tune. I couldn't stop myself either. I sang along and my feet found the boogie. I mean, how could I resist singing along to Nobody to Blame, Broken Halos, and Them Stems? People stood on the stairs, chairs, railings, and anything they could find to get a better glimpse of the stage. Had the spotlight rig been more accessible, I'm sure someone would have found the liquid courage to climb it. The sound booming from the speakers may have been country music, but everything about this was rock and roll. This was just the Wild Wild West version of it. But my moment came when he played I Was Wrong. It's not even a country song outside of concept. It's smooth, it's R&B, it's groove-worthy. But most importantly, it has a monster guitar solo. When the band went in, so did I. Chris soloed for what seemed like ages. I danced and sang along. An older, well-intoxicated redneck lady sided up to me and started grooving. I turned to Anna for approval. Too frustrated to care, she gave me the go-ahead. I danced with my sweet redneck grandma princess beneath the Mississippi moon. I felt the rhythm of our hips syncopating. I smelled the cheap booze and cigarettes on her lips. As the song faded from the speakers, I looked into her eyes. I was positive this was destiny. My sweet redneck grandma princess. You dance nice, she said. And then she disappeared in the crowds and I waved goodbye to my forbidden hillbilly love. We made it through most of the show in our poor vantage spot. Security tried to sweep us away multiple times, but by this point the crowds were too much for them. The girls had given up and took a seat on the curb long ago. And that's when vomit happened. Hardly a sober soul, two-lane exit roads and an oversold lawn, coupled with a now vomit-covered wife, this had all the fixings for catastrophe. It was time to go home. From the parking lots, we could still hear the show. As we were loading up the truck, we could hear the intro to Tennessee Whiskey. We climbed onto the hood and took it in from the comfort of Cody's vehicle. It sounded great. When those last notes hit and Chris thanked the audience, we knew it was go time. We jumped in the truck like we had committed a robbery. We drove into the night sky and I watched the masses pour from the venue in our rearview mirror. After that show, we joked we needed vindication. By all technicalities, we still hadn't seen Chris Stapleton in concert. It was a top priority to make up for the evening. Sure enough, the next summer we got tickets to see him at another venue in Mississippi. We went in with high hopes. This would be the show we hoped for. Instead, it was one of the deadest, lamest, and least engaged crowds I've ever been in. The entire audience acted like they were in a church service. And not the kind where they're dancing in the aisles, holding snakes, and hooting and hollering. The cheers were minimal, 
No one stood and no one danced. Some fans near us were even yelling at the crowd to get up and have a good time. The third time I saw Chris, I went alone. The others had been completely turned off to even trying. They were determined that it wasn't meant to be for us. But I had to try one more time. I went in with an open mind and high expectations. But destiny still failed to shine on me. From the moment Chris began singing, I could tell something was off. After a few songs, Chris thanked the audience for singing along and said he'd need some help tonight. He'd caught a cold the night before. Of course he did. It wasn't a bad performance, but it was very clear that he didn't feel well, and giving 100% was a major effort. After that, I gave up too. I've seen enough country artists since then to realize that I'm a fan of the genre now. There's still plenty out there fighting the good fight and making outlaw country music great again. I still like Chris but I'm afraid I'll never have a great Chris Stapleton show. Who knows? But I can always be grateful that he was a gateway into a genre I now love. I'm Lance Ingram, and this is Yesterday's Concert. Thanks for tuning in to another show. Sources and more information on today's show are available on our website, yesterdaysconcert.com. While you're there, check out some old episodes, or connect with us on Twitter, at ConcertPod, or on Instagram, at yesterday's concert. And until next time, take care of your shoes.